It's certainly good to be here this evening and look into your faces. I've had a good day and I hope that you've had a good day as well. Last night I talked to you about restoring the first century church. Tonight I want to talk about the importance of that church. You know, some time ago Byron Spinks gave a lesson and in his lesson, he said that in the last several years, he had come to appreciate the church more than ever before, and that he placed a greater value on the church than he had before. And that was thrilling to me. It's always thrilling to me when I hear people talk about how they love the church and how much the church means to them. The church meant much to our Lord. And certainly it must mean much to us as well. You know, Jesus tells us about the church in Matthew the 16th chapter and the 18th verse. Where Jesus makes the statement, upon this rock. I will build my church. And then he went on to say that the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now Hades, of course, is the realm of the dead. And Jesus was simply saying that the power of death would not prevail against his church. Well, of course, you say, well, he died. Yes, he died the most horrible death that a man could possibly die. But death did not prevail against the church because he sent the Spirit on the day of Pentecost in great manifestation and the church of the Lord was established. And so the gates of hell did not prevail against the establishment of the church, nor as it prevailed against the continuation of the church. All of the apostles died, most of them violent deaths. Down through the centuries, some very important men and women have died and passed on, but yet the church continues. In recent years, we have seen this and we lament about the fact that some of the most important people in the church have gone on to be with the Lord, but the Lord's church continues on. And so Jesus' words were true when he said the gates of Hades or the powers of death will not prevail against his church. But you know, in, sp in spite of the importance of the church and how much it meant to Jesus Christ, we hear some disparaging words about the Lord's church today. It's very popular for people to say, Jesus, yes, the church, no. In other words, they say, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. I want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, but I'm not interested in the church. I think there are reasons why that exists. First of all, because of misunderstanding. They misunderstand what the Bible has to say about the church and the importance of the church. And secondly, there is a misconception, a misconception that has been caused, I believe, by the false doctrine that has been preached in our modern world. Well, the church is important. And I want to talk about that importance tonight. Show the importance that Jesus gave to the church, that his apostles gave to the church. And the same importance that you and I should attach to the church today. I want us to look at the high estimation that the Bible places upon the church. And I especially want to look at the book of Ephesians. 
Because in that great book, the apostle tells us just how much the church meant to our Lord and how important the church really is. For instance, in Ephesians 1, and 23, the apostle said, and he put all things under his feet, that is under the feet of Jesus Christ, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all and in all. First of all, he says that Jesus is head over all things to the church. Now we understand that Jesus is a head over all things, that he has all authority. But what does he mean when he's head over all things to the church? I think that Hendrickson probably gave the proper interpretation when he said that these words simply mean that Jesus is the head of all things for the benefit of the church. There's one modern translation says that he is head over all things for the good of the church. Does that not tell us something about the high estimation that Jesus Christ placed upon the church? And then he tells us that the church is his body. How important is your body to you? Well, how important is the body of Christ? Of course, we know it's so important that he purchased it with his own precious blood. But notice this statement that the church is the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, we know that Jesus fills all in all, that Jesus fills us with his grace and his mercy and his salvation. But what is it that fills Jesus? Well, here we're told that the church is the fullness of Jesus. One definition of that word fullness is simply completion. That the church is the completion of Jesus. And how important it is for us to understand that the church is the representative of Jesus Christ here on this earth. But then the apostle goes on to tell us that the church is a part of God's eternal purpose. He says to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here he tells us that this many-sided, manifold wisdom of God is made known by the church. Of course, it's made known to us. But in this particular case, it's made known to the angels. The angels had a desire to look into these things that they were prophesying and they see it all fulfilled in this wonderful institution that is called the church. And he tells us it's all according to God's eternal purpose. Letting us know, my friends, that God's church or the church has been in God's mind from eternity. Even before he laid the foundation of the earth, the church was in the mind of God. You know, some people think that the church is just some kind of an afterthought on the part of the early Christians and that it took the place of the kingdom that was supposed to be established. Don't you believe it? The church has always been in the mind of God. And there is a glory in the church. The apostle said it so well in Ephesians 3 and 21, to him that is to God be glory 
in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Where is that glory given to God? In the church. You know, back in Isaiah, the 43rd chapter and the 7th verse, God said, I created man for my glory. That's the reason that you and I are here in this world. We only have one purpose. We don't have two reasons for living. We have one reason for living. And that is to glorify and magnify and worship the God of heaven. Well, where do we do that? We do that as a part of his church. To God be the glory in his church. But then the apostle tells us further concerning Jesus, our Savior and our King. He said, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Now, once again, he tells us about the authority of Christ. He's the head. He's the supreme authority in the Lord's church. But then he tells us that he is the Savior of the body. We've already read that the body is the church. You know, sometimes people today tell us that there is no salvation in the church. There's no means or no reason for you to be a member of the church. Don't you believe it? Because he tells us that Jesus is the Savior of the church. And then he goes on in Ephesians 5 and 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus loves the church. How much did he love the church? He loved the church so much that he gave himself for it. Listen to Acts the 28th chapter or the 20th chapter and the 28th verse again. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. You know, we value things by the, by the price that is paid for them. The more you pay for a thing, the more value you attach to that thing. Think about the price that was paid for the church. The highest price that could ever be paid. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. You know, Peter said, For as much as you're not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but by the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And did you know, my, law, my, law, my friends, that the Lord wanted the people of the church to recognize the church as a glorious affair. It was his design that the church should be a glorious church. He said, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You know, I looked up that word glorious in the Greek language, and one of the definitions is that it is held in high esteem. That's the way the Lord wants the church to be. And that's the way you and I are to hold the church. And to the Lord, it is, a, it is an institution that is held in high esteem. And the Lord thinks so much of the church 
that he nourishes and cherishes the church. In Ephesians 5, 29 and 30, he said, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does his church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. The husband is to nourish and cherish his wife. But he says, that's just like the Lord nourishes and cherishes that wonderful institution that is called the church. And so that tells us something about the estimation that our Lord places upon the church. Why does he nourish and cherish it? He said, because we are members of his body. He loves his body and he nourishes that body. So I say that tonight, my friends, that regardless of what the church is, I want to be a part of it, don't you? Well, what is this grand institution that Jesus our Lord said that he was going to build? What is this church that he nourishes and that he cherishes and that he sanctifies and that he wants it to be a glorious affair? Well, let us look at what the Bible has to say about the church. You know, the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. And that's really a combination of two words. Ek, which means out of, and kalio, which means uh, to call. And so the church is the called out. We have been called out of sin and to purity and holiness. We've been called out of bondage into liberty. We have been called out of darkness into wonderful light that we have in the Lord. I like what Peter said in 1 Peter 2 and 9. He said, but you are a chosen generation. That's what the church is. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what the church is uh, to our Lord. You know, we think of the church in two senses. We, we look at the church in its universal sense. When Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church in Matthew 16 and 18, he was using it in the sense of the universal church. That is, all of God's people all over the world. But most often the church is used in its local sense. You know, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he says to the church of God, which is at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, he was using it in the local sense. In Romans 16 and 16, when he said the churches of Christ salute you, he is talking about the church in the local sense. And so we, we, uh, we exalt this wonderful institution, whether we're talking about all of God's people all over the world, or we're talking about a local congregation like we find right here at this place. Well, let us look at the descriptions that the Bible gives of the church. I think that the church, both local and also universal, can be called the body of Christ. Paul again in Ephesians 1, and 23 said, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all 
and in all. In other words, this great fellowship of believers is regarded as an organic spiritual unity. In relationship with Jesus Christ, we're subjected unto Christ. We're animated by Christ. And Jesus is the head of this spiritual body, which is the church. It's a glorious head. You know, we generally estimate the value of a body by the value of the head. A person may have a very healthy, beautiful, handsome body and have a deranged head. But what about the head of the Lord's church? It's a glorious head. It's Jesus Christ who is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of His person, the one who created all things, the one who upholds all things. So the church is no mean affair. It's no small matter. It's an important institution. Well, of course, the, the members of the church are you and me. In 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, the 12th verse the apostle says, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. The church is one, but it is made up of many members. And all of these members become members because they're baptized. Because the apostle goes on to say, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. When we're baptized into Christ, we become members of this spiritual body of which Jesus Christ is the head. And so I say tonight, my friends, that the church universal is the body of Christ. But also I say that the church local is also the body of Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, Now you are the body of Christ and members in individually. So we can think of this wondrous body of Christians all over the world being as the body of Christ. But then we can look at each individual congregation as being the body of Christ. And there's a wonderful unity that is to be found in that body. I like the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 when he talks about this wonderful unity that is found in a local congregation of God's people. Listen to it. He said, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Isn't that a beautiful picture of unity in the church of the Lord? Every member supplying his place, every member doing his part in this wonderful institution. And as a result, he said, growth is the result. But in that body, there is a wonderful care. Just as every member of this physical body of mine takes care of the other members of this physical body, so we have the same care in the spiritual body of Christ. 
In 1 Corinthians 12 and 25, he said that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. That's beautiful. He says if one member is honored, all of the members are honored. I want you to consider uh, a sweet old lady on her 50th anniversary. How she cherishes that little gold band on her left hand. Now it's one small member on which that ring is placed. But the whole body is honored as a result. Because it looks back to the time 50 years before when she gave her life and her heart to that man that she loves. The same thing is true, my friends, in the body of Christ. When one member is honored, all of the members are honored along with that member. You know, I'm always happy when I hear about people in the church that prosper Maybe they increase in their income or their position in the world. Or maybe they get a new home or a new car. I'm always glad to hear that. I'm honored by that because they are honored. It reminds me of what Brother, King, uh, Brother Gay said many years ago. He said, I'm never envious when one of the members of the church gets a new house. He said, I can stay in that house. He said, I'm never envious when I get a new car. He said, I can ride in that car. That's the principle that Paul is teaching here. But notice the other side of the coin. If one member suffers, all of the members suffer along with that member. I've listened to you during this meeting. I've heard your announcements about people that are sick or people that are in need or people that need our prayers. The church is suffering along with those members. We have the same care, one for another. And that's exactly what the Lord expects. I don't think sometimes, my friends, you and I realize the nearness of feeling, the, uh, the identity of interest and the warmth of soul and the oneness of mind that exists in this wonderful institution that we call the church. But then I like to think of what the Bible says about the church being the family of God. In Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, the apostle says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. God has a family. He has a family in heaven, the angels. He has a family here on this earth. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the family of God. And what a father we have. We can say our father which art in heaven. Because you see the Bible tells us that God made this statement. I will be a father to you. And you should be my sons and daughters says the Lord Almighty. 2 Corinthians 6 and 18. I was always very proud to say that Louis Edward Fussell was my father, a good man, a strong man, a man that cared for me more than he cared for his very life. But I'm even more proud to say that the great God of the universe, the one who dipped his hands in chaos and sprinkled a universe with worlds, God 
is my heavenly Father. And of course, we become children of God when we are born again, born into his family. You know, Jesus in John, the third chapter, answered Nicodemus and he said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, in order for us to become the children of God, we've got to be born, born again, born of the water and of the spirit. That's exactly what happened to our sister the other evening. She was born of the water and of the Spirit, and thus she became a part of the family of God. She can recognize God as her Father, but she can also recognize Jesus as her elder brother. I like what Jesus said when his brothers and his sisters and his mother showed up and they wanted to see him. And he said these words to his disciples in Luke 8 and 21, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Showing us the high uh, relationship that Jesus sustained to those that were obedient to his word. We are his brothers and his sisters in Christ. And of course, all Christians are brothers and sisters in Christ. The apostle in 1 Peter, the second chapter, the 17th verse said, honor all people, love the brotherhood. What is that brotherhood? That's that universal church. It's that local church of God's people. He said, love the brotherhood, fear God and honor the king. So we have a spiritual relationship that takes precedence over the fleshly relationship. We have a very vital fellowship and relationship that we sustain to one another in the church. You know, we're told in Philippians, the fourth chapter, something about the high estimation that the apostle had of his brothers and his sisters at Philippi. He loved them deeply. He said, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Notice that he calls them dearly beloved twice. They were doubly beloved people. And he says that he longed for them and that they were his joy and his crown. That's the attitude that you and I must have toward our fellow members of the body of Jesus Christ. And then the, the scriptures lets us know that in this family relationship, that Jesus Christ is our elder brother. And he said, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister. So we have a, a family relationship in the church, a deep reverence and obedience to our heavenly father, a deep and abiding love for our elder brother who's given himself for us. And then that close and intimate fellowship that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But then I love to think of the church as being the temple of God. Do you know a temple is a dwelling place of deity. Now if the church is the dwelling place of God or the church is the temple of God, then it's the dwelling place of God. 
And we're told in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It's interesting to me in these verses of Scripture that the, use, the Apostle uses various figures to describe the church. First of all, we're citizens, that is, citizens of the kingdom. We're also members of the household. We're members of the family of God. He said, having been built, we're also a building. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so the church is the temple of God. It's the dwelling place of God. And of course, He dwells through His Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, the uh, 6th chapter, and also in the, uh, uh, the 3rd chapter, the 16th verse, the apostle said, Do you not know that you, speaking of the church, you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. But then the Bible goes on to tell us that the church is the kingdom of God, which of course is one and the same as the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You know, there are many people today in the religious world that will tell you that when Jesus came, he came to establish his kingdom. But since the Jews rejected him, he changed his mind and in, a stand, in an afterthought, he established the church. Well, don't believe that because the church is the kingdom of Christ. When Jesus in Mark, Matthew, the 16th chapter, the 18th verse said, Upon this rock I will build my church. In the very next verse, he said to Peter, unto you I'll give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Letting, letting us know that he's using kingdom and church interchangeably. So when you're talking about the church, you're talking about the kingdom. And the apostle said that these people of the first century were already in the kingdom. In Colossians 1.13, he, he said he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. John in the Revelation letter tells us that He was in the kingdom. Well, when we think about the church of, as the kingdom, we're thinking about the church is where there is authority. And that authority resides in the king of that kingdom, which of course is Jesus Christ. He has all authority. Over in Matthew, the 28th chapter, the 18th verse, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That is the sovereign of the universe, who was almighty God, had delegated to Jesus Christ all authority. Doesn't leave any for me, does it? Doesn't leave any for you or any group of men or convention of men. All of that authority resides in Jesus. And because of that authority, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things. I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. 
And so tonight, my friends, the church of the Lord is not a democracy. The church of the Lord is not a republic. The church of the Lord is a kingdom. Jesus is the king, and he is the one who holds all authority. The last that I would, would, I, I would use is the fact that the church is the bride of Christ, which is a beautiful picture of the church to me. In Romans the seventh chapter, the fourth verse, the apostle said, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that you should bear fruit unto God. Again, he said in 2 Corinthians 11 and 2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So much can be said about the church being the bride of Christ. There's one thought that comes to my mind that I want to share with you, and that is the fact that if the church is the bride of Christ, the most important thing is for that bride to be faithful unto the husband. I married a couple just the other day, and I told them that there was one principle that they needed to learn if they were going to have a marriage that would survive. I said, from this day forward, you must never allow anyone or anything to become more important to you than the love and the loyalty that you can declare for one another. If you'll always give each other first place in your faithfulness, your loyalty, then you will have a marriage that will last and your vows will remain intact. The same is true with regard to the Lord's church. We are the bride of Christ and we must remain faithful unto him. I hope that in some small way that I have been uh, have uh, created with you, within you, just a little bit higher estimation of the Lord's church. He was so important to our Lord that he was willing to pay out his precious blood for that institution. It was so important to him that he came all the way from the ivory courts of glory to this land, lived a perfect life, and then died upon the cross, shed his precious blood that this wonderful institution might come into existence. You know, I think sometimes, my friends, that we don't realize the value of what we have as members of the body of Christ. I one time heard about a man who was a great lover of old books. But one day he was talking to his friend, and his friend told him that he had thrown away an old Bible that he found in the attic of his ancestral home. He said, I couldn't read it. It was of no value to me. He said it was printed by some fellow by the name of Guten something or other. And immediately that man was horrified. There was such a lover of books. He said, not Gutenberg. The Gutenberg Bible was one of the very first books that was ever printed. He said the other day, one of these, these Bibles sold for $2 million. Well, his friend was not much impressed. He said, well, not my book. 
Not my Bible. It wasn't worth anything. I couldn't read it. He said it was scribbled all over in German by some fellow by the name of Martin Luther. The man had a treasure and he didn't know it. And I think sometimes, my friends, that you and I, especially those of us who have been in the church so very long and we've enjoyed all of the wonderful benefits and privileges that we have as members of the body of Christ and we sometimes take them for granted and really don't realize the value of what we have. I hope that you will and I'm sure that you will. Maybe I'm talking to someone tonight who is not a member of the body of Christ. You've never taken those steps that put you into Christ, which is the same as put you into Christ or into his kingdom, into his body. You, of course, must believe in Jesus. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You must repent of your sins because the apostle Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and I will give to you the gift of the Holy Spirit. That you have confessed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Ethiopian eunuch wanted to be baptized. And Philip said, if you believe, you may. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He went down into that watery grave and was baptized. And he went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing why? Because he was now in Christ. He was now in his body. He was now a member of his church. He was a subject of his kingdom. He was a part of this great family of God. You can do the same. If you've not done that, do it. If you strayed away from your Lord as a Christian and need to come back, do that while we stand, while we sing.